CHP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode. Hello, you golfing legends, and welcome back to another episode of the Original Off Course. I'm your host, Dan Edwards, and joining me this week is the legend known as Mr. Michael Veriska. Michael, how are you? I'm well. Uh, you're the only person who's ever called me a legend, so this is extra grateful. You know what? We sh- that didn't go real well. Why don't we do that? Uh, why don't we do that intro one or ten more times? <laughs> Cut to commercial. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I think everyone who plays golf is a legend because they they we share a common interest. Uh, you are a bit more of one because you are closing in on Twitter stardom. I saw four thousand subscribers over there. Whatever you want to call them, followers. Mm-hmm. Congrats. That's exciting. Thank you. I've uh, I've done that without uh, any giveaways or showing skin, so I'm very proud of that. Those are hard-earned followers. I've heard you can buy them too. You not tried that? Uh, so <laughs> it, it, I have never tried it. I will admit that uh, I have looked it up once or twice, and uh, I'm not very comfortable with that process. So okay, uh, I'm not I'm not saying that I have no bot followers. I'm sure that I do. We all have the the one. Uh, she looks like an Asian person, I think, who's followed everybody 11 times under different names. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but most of them are real. And it's interesting. As the years go on, I've, I've met more and more and played golf with a few. And um, so Twitter is not real life, which I've tweeted many times, but there are real people <laughs> on there. You know, if, if I didn't have any sense of the world, I would think I was pretty famous on Instagram now with all these uh, beautiful women who follow me over there <laughs> who have like six or seven numbers at the end of their name. <laughs> so, so Twitter, I, I have a question for you because you've sort of withstained the, the change of Twitter landscape over the years. And you definitely have made a home for yourself from a conversational perspective over there, especially when you bring interesting conversation to golfers. Uh, I've tried it numerous times and maybe it's a little easier for me because i can just run back to the thp community and have a sane conversation with actual other people but for me twitter's always been like as for as long as i can stand it is it different do you do you find yourself working into a groove where you don't see a lot of the crazy uh no there's plenty of crazy on there i mean and i i think people it's interesting uh, people think i tweet way more often than i do it, it I just saw another person who does a nice job. Uh, Brian Tweed is on there, uh, who I only know digitally, uh, you know, through tw- through Twitter. But he just passed something like I don't know forty thousand tweets or something, and he's been on there half as long as I have. Um, you know, I I I get a lot more credit I think for my posts than I deserve, which is wonderful. Um, but yeah, I, I made a decision long ago um, that I will interact with everyone, but as soon as it goes really negative, then I I just uh, I just ignore that. Um, you know, I want to associate with people who want to learn. I want to associate people who want to help me learn. I want to associate with people who have legitimate questions, um, who who have something interesting to share. Um, and I will, you know, whether you agree with me or not, whether you're of a different political version, whether you work for a different golf club company, I'll talk to all those people about all those things, although I stay away from politics on Twitter. But what I, I'm not going to get in a shouting match. I'm not going to argue. Uh, you know, I'll, ma- I'll, I'll make a point. And then as soon as it gets negative, then I, you know, I hate to say it, but I, I, I'll just ghost that conversation, not that human. I don't hold grudges, but I'm just not getting into the, the really negative dark side of even golf Twitter, which sadly exists. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely, that, that big shift in uh, professional golf, what was that last year now, has 
made a, an interesting almost rift in the Twitter sphere from a golf perspective. So it's like, which side do you take? And then, you know, who do you listen to the loudest? And then which hit piece on whose tour are you going to follow next? And <laughs> yeah, there, uh, the, the PJ tour live split definitely created a little, uh, rift in the golf Twitter world. And again, I've, I've stayed on that, um, uh, as least best I can. Um, you know, I, I love watching professional golf period full stop. I watch one of those way, 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 way more than the other. Uh, I follow one way, way, way more than the other, but I really don't begrudge people who think they're bettering their lives and creating generational wealth. I would really like to create general wealth for myself. I'm just not very good at that part of it yet. So, uh, I mean, the first start would be actually purchasing a house in California, right? That would be a good start. Right now, I'm uh, right now I'm creating wealth for somebody else as I continue that. We have a we have a great spot. It's it's pretty darn close to the ocean. It's pretty darn close to downtown Carlsbad, and um, we have lots of not. I shouldn't say lots. We have we have visitors several times a year because of where we're at, and my wife and I like it there. So, uh, and interest rates are at forty nine thousand percent. So <laughs> together, and we're we're in a good spot. Uh, well, you know, I'd love to talk about your golf game throughout the year because I think THPers follow you quite a bit, especially when you jump on the forum and share your perspective on things. So we, we love to know what's in the bag and, and how you're playing and whether you're playing and all that. Yeah, I, I try to play every Saturday. That uh, You know, my, my goal when I lived in Chicago, when I lived in Texas, my goal every year was always the same, 50 rounds a year. Um, you know, in, in Chicago, that was a little bit more difficult, but I played a little more corporate golf. So that kind of offset some of the winter, um, you know, and here, you know, I live in, you know, basically Eden at 70 degrees year round. So, um, you know, I, I think I'm at, f I'd have to look it up, but I think I'm at 45 rounds right now. Um, it's, it's at late October. So, uh, I should be able to get to 52 without a whole lot of effort. Um, but my golf is pretty much Saturdays only. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't play much corporate golf anymore, just my role uh, a couple times a year, but really way less. Uh, I don't play on Sundays just because that's family time and just kind of try to I try to keep uh, Sabbath a little bit different in my life. And I'm a working stiff. Uh, so, you know, it, I try to play every Saturday. Uh, I try to get at least one putting practice round uh, session in per week. Uh, lately I've uh, tried to get back to the range once a week or, or at least on a sim once a week to just work on some face contact. My, uh, my iron play has kind of, uh, is, is just not great right now. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. Um, so I'm, and I'm trying to just work on some of that stuff. So obviously I think about golf. I'm, I'm paid to think about golf. I'm paid to talk about golf and, and do cool things in golf. But, you know, my golf game is, is like I said, I'm a, I'm a weekend warrior. Uh, I'm at a five, just five and change. I got in, uh, I think I got to the high threes at one point earlier this year, went on a little run. Golf gods made sure that didn't continue. Um, but uh, I hit it a long way. I've hit, I'm hitting it longer than I ever have in my life. The, the swing training, the strength training has really kind of kicked in putting it pretty well, short game strong. And then uh, my score goes as the irons go. You know, I, I see your conversations and, and I see the engagement you have with different products and, uh, and the way it suits golfers and yourself. I would think that tinkering would be almost second nature in that sort of position where you, you get a new idea and the first thing you want to do is go and try it. 
Yeah. So I, I'm a big believer in trial and I rarely change golf clubs. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I was just having a conversation. Uh, my wife and I had uh, dinner with some good friends of ours and uh, uh, he buys clubs often. And his wife was like kind of quizzing me and I think trying to get him in trouble. Um, and, you know, I, I just don't change clubs that often. You know, uh, it's just not something. Now, I try everything. I love to go hit the new stuff. Um, and the new stuff is great, but you know, I'm a big believer in if you have something that fits for you and works for you, um, then, then stick with it. You know, I, I've got a, a new mix set of the, of the new apex family that'll go in the bag in my next round. Um, but I still have the apex pro 21s, uh, that I got, uh, when I started. So I've been playing the same iron set for almost my entire time at Callaway. Um, and you know, could I have switched other, other options? The answer to that's yes on all fronts. Um, and, but I'll play the apex pros probably for 18 months or two years. And I'll go on the next one. Cause that's generally what fits me. I mean, I will try something. And if, again, if there's something like, wow, this is, this is better for me, not just better in general, then I'm, I'm going to switch. Um, it's no different when I tell people to get fit. You know, I, I get a lot of complaints. Well, you guys launch drivers every year. Well, yeah, we do. And we launch irons every year and you don't have to buy them. Um, but if you want to try them, take your gamer and challenge the fitter and say, Hey, this is what I'm playing now. If you have on-course data, share that, hit some shots, and then make a decision. If, if the new driver gets you eight yards and 12% dispersion, you have to decide if you're if that's worth it for you. Um, you know, and, then, and the used club market with, with Callaway Pre-Owned now can make that even cheaper. So, that, you know, I know the cost of entry in general is rising, but the actual cost of entry for most people is going down um, because of the robust used market. So, uh Again, I, I, I like to practice what I preach. When something's better, I switch, period, full stop. Um, absolutely. Uh, and it's a little easier for me because of my position. I realize that. But it's no different than what I ask anyone else to do. Go get fit, challenge the fitter, bring your gamer, and show it. If, if, you know, if it's three yards longer, you know, how much is three yards worth to you? I, I don't know. That's up for you to decide. How much is 15 yards worth for you? Because I've, I've seen that when you get a, a new fit and a new product. So, yeah, no, again, no, no different. I really try to practice what I preach. Um, you know, obviously we like to sell golf clubs. That means I get to get a paycheck and I'm pro getting paychecks. But we as a company, we provide lots of different options and we provide lots of just options often to get people in the product that's best for them. And what we do from an AI perspective and a design perspective really is monumental shifts from year to year. Some of them are obviously are, are, are smaller shifts, but there's some big things going on with new product that people will see measurable distance year in and year out. Now, again, now it's up to you to decide if that's worth it for you, if you can afford that. And I certainly understand not everyone can. We understand buying cycles. We have good data on that. Um, but there are lots of people who want to play their best and are willing uh, to make that investment. And for a lot of players, that's going to be every year or every other year. Well, it also has a play on the the quality of the game they have at the time, right? Like we all have ebbs and flows. You mentioned you you, you uh, were a little bit lower earlier in the year, and maybe that changes the type of club you play. Winter golf for me, I, I, I know you, you're long since removed from the horrible nature that is winter golf, but uh, oh. some, <laughs> sometimes you have to make a subtle change, whether it's in flex or uh, the type of club head you're using. Uh, going into those colder months because maybe your body's not moving as well. Maybe the contact's not as good. Maybe you need that a little bit of extra forgiveness, uh, the feeling. One of the things I, I find interesting about the trend of the industry, and, and I'm looking purely at something like irons right now, because for me, I think those that's one of the largest gaps that has existed between 
very forgiving and very challenging. Uh, the, the gap I feel like with those types of irons is closing a lot. And, and one of the examples I have from this year would be last version of Apex versus, let's say, Paradigm. I, I feel like the sound quality has improved. The, uh, the, the results in total are, are a lot closer without making any big concessions between the two club heads. Have you noticed that shift in in specifically iron technology over the last, let's say, ten years? Well, if I'm answer, if I'm hearing the question, and I'm not sure I am, but I'm hearing the question. I, I think the answer is yes. I mean, I look at my Apex Pros, the new Apex Pros, and again, there was no that's a no brainer. I mean, I, I hit. I mean, I was fortunate to hit them multiple times, but after one session, I knew that I was ready to switch irons. There was no there was no debate on the performance, on the sound feel, on the turf interactions. It, it literally was that quick. You know, and, and I look at drivers and I, I switch drivers every year. I have so many phrases. I have switched drivers every year I've been at Callaway because the performance is that much better every year. I've happened to switch Fairy Woods every year at Callaway. Uh, that's not always been true at other OEMs I've worked with. So, I, you know, I look at now and because of some of the things that we're doing specifically and not just us, there, there are others. I'd like to think we do it as well or better, but I've switched drivers and Fairy Woods every year. Um, because that it, the performance is so much better. You can see that tangible sound and feel. And I think that's getting to the irons as well, um, especially if you look at, you know, different product lines. And as we continue to segment and refine uh, and really, you know, drill down to different player types, I, I think you can think you can see, feel, hear those difference in a more meaningful way. And a lot of that is driven by AI uh, again, I've said this before and maybe even on your show a couple of years ago, but, you know, I, I'm very proud of the design work. I don't do really much of that anymore, but I'm very proud of the club design work I have done over the years. Some of those products, you know, still hold up well today, but it is next level what's going on. I mean, it, it the, the human element is still important, but, you know, what we're designing now, humans can't come up with on their own, right? And back then it was, you know, a lot of research and testing and looking at different industries, uh, which again, again, I'm proud of the work we did, but the the jumps in technology and sound and feel that we can do now are, are so much more precise and so much more defined and so much more beneficial because of that simulation and a bit of ability to iterate digitally tens of thousands of times. So sound and feel is the bigger piece of that equation but mostly what my thought was there was you operate in two-year cycles and they sort of bounce between yep. like an apex style uh so more of a player-esque profile like apex pro or whatever whatever it might be and then the other side is usually in line with your driver concept which yeah, yeah. Be, in this case paradigm um and, and this this question actually stems more from the forum because one of the guys over there is was hitting the new apex pros against paradigm and was shocked that, first of all, how playable they both were for him, but also the performance benefits of Paradigm and the, the the ball speed that was off the face as compared to that more precision style iron, which is Apex Pro. However, he's the, same, he's the type of golfer where I think both would be successful in his bag, and, and that's more or less what I'm talking about, that gap closing is got it, got back, it. back in the day, it's like, oh, I'm a steelhead guy. Oh, I'm an Apex guy. So there's not like that 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 closure between the two sets. So now... You look at both as a potential option. So, hey, I'm I'm possibly an Apex guy, but these paradigms are absolutely nuts, and and the, the feedbacks in that they really are a nice product. Uh, that that's more or less what I'm talking about from the gap closing. 
Yeah. So now, okay, I appreciate you. At least I gave a nine minute answer for the question you didn't ask. That's it was a, cool it was a great segue into something that I think everyone is curious about anyway. So it worked yeah, out it, well. You'll 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 fix that in editing. I'm sure. <laughs> Never. <laughs> uh, but but I, I think the answer to your question, the answer to that is both yes and no. And answer now that you're actually answering the right question. The answer yes meaning be, again because of our ability to to look at more variables in meaningful ways, you know, we can get the sound closer to what is quote unquote ideal across multiple sets. We can get the feel. Um, and then it comes down to what technology you want to use. And that's, and that's where they more separate, right? With Paradigm, there's a ton of ball speed on there. Um, Apex Pro, is it has ball speed, don't get me wrong, but that's not the goal. We're using technology there much more about consistency, mm-hmm. precision, repeat, repeatability. So it's almost where you put your, your focus. You know, ball speed and distance is still important on the entire Apex Pro family. But we're putting the importance more on the on the dispersion, on on the repeatability, on if you hit it a little low or a little high, going the same distance. When paradigm, we're putting a little more emphasis on ball speed and pure forgiveness. So, uh, but the sound and feel and the look, all those things are still there on both of them. So, yeah, a player who maybe is a little bit slower swing speed, who's always wanted a forge club probably should go to Paradigm because they can get that extra distance, still have the sound and feel that they want. Um, and somebody who's got a little more speed and, you know, I, we can put both of ourselves in that category. Or I'm not going to say we're great players, but we have, we can, you know, swing it a little bit fast. Um, can we use Paradigm? The answer is absolutely. Then it comes down to what setup makeup works for us, or do we want to go back to that precision uh, of the Apex Pro? So, so the, again, I think I think there's two ways to look at that, and and hopefully I answered the question a little bit better in my second 20 minute answer. <laughs> well, I it, I was struggling to give a response that was not custom designed for myself, and 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 I love to make this distinction at the top of my bag. I've never been afraid to putting uh, like a four iron or five iron from a more forgiving set in because I know the ball speed benefits are there. I mean, by design, every club past your iron is doing that anyway so why not incorporate that into a long iron so i was thinking back to my epic forge days when that that technology was ridiculously new uh and i had the five iron in the bag for forever just because it was so easy to hit and it jumped off the club so aggressively i I wasn't worried about that precision need of a five iron i was worried about can i hit this as far as i can and get out of trouble as often as i can (laughs) with this club so like that to me was I was trying to find a way to answer that in the most sensible way to someone who I'm not super familiar with their game, but they were talking about, you know, the ball speed's crazy. And then I asked, okay, well, what about your launch? Uh, what about your precision? Like, let's talk about the other components that really matter of an iron game. And then we decide where it fits into each part of your game. Yeah. It's interesting that you, you brought up something that we're seeing more and more on tour and um, I'll, I'll keep this answer under an hour. Um <laughs> You know, we're seeing that more on tour and we're, we're, we're having those conversations about how that, those type of fittings dial into, you know, I hate to say it, but the average Joe fittings, you know, people like me and you, the THPers, uh, you know, 100, 200 years ago, you literally bought each club individually, right? You went to old Tom Morris and you bought a Niblick and you bought a mash. There was no such thing as match sets. You bought a club for a need, for how far the par three was. And, and you built this set up and they were all random and different in, in one sense. The Industrial Revolution came around and really got to the point where people were buying, you know, 12 and 13 piece sets. 
Here's your three woods. Here's your literally one iron through pitching wedge. And really the only extra clubs you'd buy would be like one sand wedge and a putter. And on tour, it's going the other way. You know, even on tour, you, you talk about a longer iron. You know, there's the tour is almost looking at short sets, kind of six iron through pitching wedge, six iron through gap wedge, maybe five iron. Uh, but even that five iron, it's more, you know, hey, maybe they play the blades on on their set, but they want a cavity back or an apex pro in their longer irons, the four and five. And it's really more about how how what the distance they needed to go. Right. And, and you know, three woods are three woods are becoming less frequent on tour because, quite frankly, they go too far for that player. So it's it's really they like, hey, I need a club that goes 280. Well, it turns out that's a five wood length and a four wood loft and an 85 gram shaft. You know, we didn't know what to call that, but you know what it is? It's the club that they need that goes 285 or 280 or two, whatever that distance is. And as amateurs get more prevalent on launch monitors, as, as on-course data gets more prevalent. I mean, that's one of the great things with, with my on-course data. I've, I've made a couple of small tweaks to get my gapping even better than it was before. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a believer in gapping on launch monitors, but the, but there's something about having that real life, right? Under the gun, pressure, um, how far do you really hit it? And so just as, as, as on tour, we're really kind of doing this, this small, everybody gets a driver, everybody gets a putter, everybody gets a sand and lob wedge, and everybody gets this mini set. And then what else do we do? And, and you know, I think that that's going to be the future of fitting it. We're there for, on the tours. I mean, Apex UW is a great example of that. That was um, for anyone who's familiar with that club, that was there to solve a problem. We need a club to go that goes 230 for lots of people. And, you know, who didn't want a seven wood or a nine wood, but didn't really want a hybrid and irons were coming in with not enough launch um, and spin. So we, you know, created this golf club to fill that need. And I, there's going to be more and more of that. Uh, and not just for the John Rams of the world, but the Dan Edwards and the Tom Smiths of the world too. So when it comes to, I have a sidebar question on that one. When it comes to how players should talk about their distances, do you think the discussion, especially in a fitting is how far do you hit it or how far do you miss hit it? Um, well, we want to fit off quality strikes. I mean, you know, just, it, it, but we want to understand what missed tendencies are is how I would answer that question. So, you know, Dan, if you hit your five iron, you're probably a 200, 205 guy with on a good strike with a five iron. But what I really want to know is, okay, high, 225, sorry, am I selling you short? 217, no. <laughs> I believe it. Um, I'm messing around. So uh, but whatever that distance is, right? And and so, but then now let's understand what your missed tendency. How mm-hmm. often is that miss? Are you, you know, do you pull it? Do you hit a cut there? Boy, I hit a lot of shots fat and thin. Um, you know, we want to understand the missed tendency. Um, and, and then we can make, if you're like, Hey, I, I missed this shot. I, I miss, I miss hit my five iron 40% of the time. Well, you probably don't, shouldn't be hitting a four, a five iron then, right? Let's <laughs> right. talk about what it is and let's talk about the miss. And, and so, you know, maybe, maybe five iron isn't right for you. Maybe you do need a, you know, a driving iron utility iron type thing. Let's look at high. Well, I know you hate hybrids, but, uh, normal people let's look, let's talk about hybrids. Let's talk about seven woods and nine wood. So we, we, we want to know what, and again, not your perfect strike, not the one you hit downwind, downhill, and the and the fairway was super hard that went 286. We don't want that one, right? But And that's why I love on-course data. It takes into account, well, into the wind. It takes into account downwind. And those kind of all average out over time. 
which is why that on course data is so good um, that you can say, well, you know, I actually hit it. You know, yeah, my good ones go 220 when I'm on a tee, but you know what? It really goes 206. And I, I can, and now we can work off of that, understand the misses, how often they happen, what are they? And now let's pick out a club head that's going to help with those misses and minimize them and get more shots either at that same distance or longer. And then secondarily, to make sure everything gaps out appropriately. That that sort of was the trend I was kind of going with there. The idea that, uh, especially from a forgiveness perspective, if you have two irons and the person maybe is less precise than someone else would be, you'd lean more into the, the iron that's going to support that. And for example, in this case, Paradigm, where if you travel around the head a little bit more, you have a chance of maintaining some of that distance in a, in a product that will actually support it as opposed to you lose, let's say, spin or you know ball speed or something like that on a more precise iron like an Apex. Yep. Yeah, that's that's cool. Um, I saw a question or a conversation you were a part of talking about, maybe it was one of your questions of the weeks on Twitter, talking about wedges. And I really want to pick your brain about this because Cali's doing some fun things right now. First of all, you've, you've don't I don't think you have a pitching wedge anymore in the apex lineup, which is pretty funny. And <laughs> when you but that that's not where I'm gonna go with this. I have been a firm believer in dropping the loft for a lot of golfers. And what I mean by that is the idea that you need a 64 degree, a 62 degree, a 60 degree wedge is not necessary anymore. Um I, I think especially with the current market of lofts, 50, 54, and 58 is a really strong solution for a lot of golfers what's your take on that yeah so we're, we're definitely seeing that trend to 50 54 58 um uh, and we're doing some planning around fittings around that a little bit more um we still sell more off the racks i mean people who don't get fit who just walk in and buy clubs 52 56 60 still leads that uh, but we're even seeing a trend there uh, you know i never want to tell people that they don't need a 62 or 64 degree wedge um, but what I, I would ask is how often are they using it and how versatile it is? Um, you know, uh, it, it's one of those things where we want, we, you're allowed 14 clubs. We want to maximize usage of all of those 14 clubs. It's not dissimilar to the guy or gal who, who has a three iron in the bag. And I ask, how often do you use it or look at their on course data and they use it once every six rounds. And they say, well, I need a club to punch out with. Well, <laughs> That's that's a pretty big, quote unquote, spend to use a club once every six rounds to advance a ball 40 yards. Right. So I would ask the same question about 62 or 64 degree wedge. You know, if you play in a you know, I think of a Nicholas course, you know, if you play at a, if you're at a Nicholas country, a Nicholas country club with lush rough, meaning lots of undulations and teardrops around the green. You could probably sell me you need a 62 or 64, especially if you're missing a lot of greens. Like, yeah, you need to hit it straight up in the air. You need to do that out of a lot of rough and it needs to land soft. So, you know, again, I'm not saying there's never a case, but uh, even in that it was a recent Twitter poll. We had a number of people. I had a number of people responded with 62s and 64s. And the answers were all like, oh, I have a 64, but I only use it out of this one bunker or I only use it in this emergency situation. I, anytime the word only is in use, I tend to go, well, hey, let's have a discussion about maybe what's a better use of a golf club in your bag. So I'm not anti-62 or 64. I've got a, a good friend of mine who swings it really hard, legitimately tour speeds and above. 
and he can hit that six. He has a 62 in his bag and he hits it full 85 or 90 yards. So, you know, for him, that's a viable yardage. Um, you know, I, I can, you know, I, I can hit a 62 degree wedge about 60 yards and about 160. If I hit it right, perfectly, right. <laughs> yeah. blade, I can, I can get that ball speed up. But that's um, the bigger conversation here, right? Is the challenge of, uh, the face being so open from a lot right. perspective is you're creating a more significant challenge each degree you open it up. There is that right. And and I, I don't disagree that the, the, the impact becomes more oblique um, because of that, you know, and, and typically they're not always, but typically they have a little less, um, um, excuse me, they typically have less bounce as well. Cause if you get that much loft and a lot of bounce, you can really get some, uh, we call chin high to leading edge elevations situation. So, uh, yeah, again, to, to echo what you said, you know, we think most players probably need to be 58 is the most loft. Uh, certainly nothing wrong with 60. And again, there's nothing wrong inherently with 62 or 64. Um, but those are very rare, really should be the exception. And there's got to be a compelling reason based on course played and or speed of club head that that justifies it. There's just, there's just not that many players globally who need that much loft. So you made a, a comment about balance and I'm curious about grind as well. Do you, do you feel like those who play a 60 maybe haven't explored grind enough? Because I'll, I'll give you my scenario. I've played a 58 for probably close to a decade now, and I can open it up as freely as I want based on my grind to never feel like I'm going to equator the ball, as you sort of referenced earlier. Uh, do, do you feel like those guys who are totally invested in their 60 haven't spent enough time experimenting with an open face on a grind? Uh, I think in, I think that's true in general. I'm not sure I want to quantify just the higher lofted people who do that, but I, I think that's probably true in general. And I do occasionally use bounce and grind interchangeably. Clearly, they are not. Um, they clearly can tie in. They clearly tie into one another. So uh, you know, just semantics, just so we're clear, you know, a bounce is either an effective or, or in measured way of um, the, of the angle of the sole grind, you know, you can have a, a high bounce, you know, in the center with a lot of heel relief that you can open up, you can have very low. So there, there's lots of ways, you know, I don't want to turn this into a bounce and grind conversation, because that can definitely be six hours if we want it to be. Um, but I, I just argue that most people haven't been fit for their wedges properly, period. Right. And, so, uh, you know, good, better players we found have kind of self fit. They've tried enough different things that, you know, they've bought some wedges that they didn't like. They bought some wedges that they did. And over time, they've kind of self fit. There, there's nothing wrong with that. If, if you have something that truly works for your game, uh, whether you found it or a fitter told you to find it, guess what? I don't care. You found it. Let's keep going. Right. Um, but players who literally just bought one wedge off a rack and have used it now for a couple of years. And that's the conversation we need to have. What shots can't you hit? What shots do you want to hit that maybe you see your buddies or even a PGA tour player hit that when you try it, you blade it, or when you try it, you lay the sod over it and, and dig in. Let's have those conversations. Um, you know, we've got good data iron, you know, players are getting fit for irons they are getting fit for drivers they're getting fit more often for wedges and fairway woods and putters, um, but still not enough. Um, still not even close to enough. So, so, so yes, but I don't want to just limit that to players who play 60 or more because I see lots of 58 degree wedges and people swinging them and I'd really like to switch them out for them. So <laughs> I'm going to ask an even more complex question. Now you ready for it? 
Uh, probably not, but we'll, we'll try it. <laughs> so you can make this two hours long. Uh, I've, I've started a, a relatively curious experiment and, and I've said, I've made jokes on THB every year. Usually it takes until March until I do it, but I've, I've been long a blade player uh, and putting and, and I've had a lot of success with it. it. My only complaint with it typically is that I don't have the same level of confidence in the slightly shorter putts, let's say within five feet as I do Anytime I goof around with a giant mallet, which is really hard to, to take offline. I, I feel like that uh, that medium for potential error is much higher with a blade uh, in my case. And it would be with this larger putter. It could be just lack of familiarity. Anyways, the idea now, and especially now that my greens are punched, and I really don't care what happens on the greens uh, for the next little bit is I've, I've started to experiment with some putters. I have a Daytona in the bag right now. I've got a Las Vegas that I'm going to start messing with here soon. And the idea is, can I convince myself to step away from the blade world if given enough time? So I'll spin that to you. And a more basic question for everyone is, can you sort of force fit yourself into a different style putter than you would typically play? Yeah, I mean, and people do that all the time. And sometimes it's beneficial and sometimes it's harmful. I mean, that's just straight up. I mean, I, I posted a while back. Um, I I've been using a two ball 11 for a long time. I really loved it. I got in a little bit of a lull. Uh, one of the things I do is I take my backup when I go to practice screen and putt. I'll, I'll often take both putters just to kind of, just so I have a different feel and a different look. Um, my backup is a San Diego. And I, I just noticed on the practice screen, I felt like I was making everything with, it. and I felt like I literally owed not my, 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 my mallet, my two ball 11 did nothing wrong, but I felt I owed it to it to give it some time on, on the, on the real course. And I played, I think six or seven rounds with it. Um, and I, I didn't putt poorly, but what I found was I had lost a little confidence in alignment without that, that two ball. Um, it's interesting the, the, the data didn't back it up. I, I didn't putt any better and I didn't putt any worse, quite frankly, with, with either they're both quote unquote fit to me. They're they're They look different, but from a fitting perspective, the link's exactly the same. The weight's exactly the same. The grip's exactly the same. I've got alignment features on the San Diego is just a sight dot, which I've, I know works for me. Obviously, the other one's a two ball. So they're different, but similar enough. Um, but I, I just lost a little confidence over that San Diego is, was I aligning it properly? Um, now, again, the data showed that I probably was because I didn't get better or worse. But I, I didn't like that, that negative connotation over a putt every once in a while. I was standing over it. The line, you know, I was using my triple track, but I just didn't feel super comfortable. So I, I, I'm now back uh, in the two ball just from a comfort factor. Um, so, again, I've been fit for both my putters, but, you know, I, I, I'm not afraid to go back and forth. Sometimes that needs to happen. Um, now, to answer your question, if, if you've got one that's a, a face balanced and you've got one with 60 degrees of toe hang and you're going back and forth between those two, uh, I would argue that one of them is better for you. I don't know which one. There might be something that's even best in between. I don't know that. Um, so if, if you're if you're just going, hey, I want to go between a blade and a mallet because I want to see, um, hopefully they're similar enough that it's really going to come down to alignment, confidence, and and basically MOI forgiveness, right? Although there are some blades that have incredibly high MOIs right now. Our Tri Hot line is one. Um, there are some other ones out there that are really high MOI putters. But you know that the benefit of the mallets are typically forgiveness, and just because they're larger, typically people can align. Not everyone. I want to be crystal clear. 
but many people can align them better because of the additional size. Again, not all. Um, so that's the real benefits of the blades versus the mallet in general. Again, we can talk about more specific line, not lines on the head, but specific models, if you will. Um, so there's a long-winded answer. Yeah, and I, I, you addressed what my issue was with having played a blade style for so long between the Austin shape or something of that nature, and then you know, trying to make a shift into a mallet. I never really feel like I gave it enough of an opportunity to shine because it is a step away from familiarity. And while you mentioned it kind of going in the other direction, for me, it was uh, the slightly larger head changes a lot of things. And and I like your other mo note saying like changing toe hang is obviously a really significant difference, but I, I typically play. So my Austin's a uh, longer neck, so it's not as there's not as much toe hang on it. Uh, yep. Closes the gap. And especially for something like um, the Vegas that I have, that has like a subtle toe hang. So it's more like in the 10 to 20%, I think yep. uh, it, it's actually fairly close to that blade. And, and I think there are two things going on here. Not only you're changing the shape, but you're also changing the mechanics of the putt overall, right? Because greater toe hang is going to impact the way the, the putter gates and all that. So in, it wasn't in general. We've not all, not all players are as sensitive of that as you might think, but in general, that's true. Yeah. We, again, um, so I, I, I think that's extreme, a green, right? Like if you had a, if you had a face balance putter and one that was 15 degrees of toe hang, those are close enough that you're probably mm -hmm. not going to have significant. I literally picked face balance and 60 because those are so far apart that that, that that's going to affect nearly everyone's performance. Right. Um, so going to like that number nine, the, the half moon shape that has massive toe hang is obviously going to be different than rolling like a, a Daytona, which has almost none. Right. <laughs> and, and those are the type of extremes I would recommend people avoid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going from a true face balance to something with 10 or 15 de degrees of toe hang, I would have no, no fear of, you know, saying, Hey, yeah, go give both of those a try. Um, but, you know, if it want, you know, or if somebody with, with one that's 45 and 60, yeah, go give those two a try. But if you're at zero and 60, uh, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to throw the yellow flag. Right. <laughs> well, it's part of the fun of the excitement of uh, and excitement of that experiment that lasts longer than, let's say, seven holes, which is typically my threshold <laughs> of going back to the the, the old faithful. Um, does, that, does that mean there's a lake on eight or uh, no, 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 never, never. Uh, I would never disrespect a club like that unless it deserved it, which okay. there are very few that, uh, that have held that rain. I'm trying to think in my head. Actually, I played with a guy yesterday who had a driver. I would have loved to throw in the lake. It was an older model and I'm pretty sure my ears are still bleeding a little bit having had to listen to it. So a lot, a lot of yellow on it. <laughs> uh, no, but okay. if you look the other way, you'd sure certainly think it was <laughs> same genre. Yeah, it was, it was something, man. Um, I, I do have a follow-up question on that because from what I see it, and you're probably going to stonewall us on this one, but <laughs> I, I see a lot of uh, pictures floating around social and uh, off the tour truck. Looks like Odyssey's got some stuff going on right now that we haven't seen directly from you guys. Any truth to that? Uh, yeah, there's definitely some putters on tour. Uh, you're not going to get much out of me at all. Uh, I've actually retweeted a couple of them. I uh, have also tweeted, I really think 2024 may be, because of the technology that's coming out, really could be the year of the flat stick. I, I mean, the... Um, Again, I can't say too much, but we are really excited about how this can benefit people in a meaningful way. 
Um, you know, we, we've, we've shown the tour players, uh, John Rahm, Sam Burns, both used this a prototype version uh, in the Ryder Cup. Uh, there's been a couple other players who have used uh, models in other PGA Tour events after the Ryder Cup. Um, again, if you want to get on, if you want to get on the interwebs, you can find pictures. You're not going to get any answers from me, but they do exist. And uh, we really are excited for what this means from a technology standpoint uh, and a meaningful, measurable benefit to players. So much so that somebody like John Rahm, who has been putting out of his freaking mind, somebody like Sam Burns, who is inarguably one of the best putters, putters on tour, were both willing to switch and put it in in the bag for something like the Ryder Cup. So, wow. um, so yeah, we're we're really excited, and, and uh, we're recording this on the 25th of October. I'm not sure when this is going to drop, but um, it's not. The, the wait isn't too much longer either. So that's okay. as far as I'm willing to go. Change subject. Uh, I have one follow-up to that. Uh, is, maybe. Is the Verska bag unsafe from this potential new product? Uh, I I uh, I allegedly have had one in, in my closet and on my indoor putting green. And uh, the late night when I'm pretty confident I'm going to be the only one going to a local practice green for a good five or six months now. Okay. So the the short answer is God, yes. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> All right, I have I have one more question for you today. You're off the hot seat on new product, um, but before the show, we started talking about the best time of the year to get fit, and and I thought it was an interesting comment that you made, and, and you can bring it to the forefront here. Uh, but I'll start it by saying it. I find it hilarious how. I go all through the year trying to solve my golf game. And when the leaves start falling and when the weather starts sucking, when my expectations diminish massively on the quality of the golf course, my game actually elevates a bit. <laughs> so as frustrating as it is in my climate to know that there won't be a ton of golf uh, on the horizon, especially evening golf, because it's you know dark at three o'clock now. Uh <laughs> is this the best time of year to get fit for golfers or should they wait for certain releases or certain times of the year to go and, and really get dialed in? So I think you can make an argument that kind of, you know, November, December, January for people in Northern climbs, you can make a pretty good argument. That's the best time of the year to get fit and, and hear me out. Now this, again, I know there's exceptions and, the guy like, oh, I, you know, my last four rounds of the year were my worst four rounds of the year. Well, I'm not talking to you, but most players get in a groove at the end of the year. They've played for five or six months. They know their tendencies. They've got a good idea on how far they're hitting it. They have a very good idea of what their misses were. So because of that, the fall is a great time, you know, kind of, again, finish out the clubs you have, um, you know, kind of November, December, early January, if you want to wait for some new releases, which is typically release season. Um, that's a really great time because you just spent five or six months getting your swing dialed in. The other thing that's great about it is once you get fit, get those clubs in uh, because of the cost and, and availability, uh, the cost going down, availability going up of launch monitors and or places to hit indoors, that gives players a chance to really get acclimated to their new clubs. And maybe, you know, even if in a great fitting, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know, I've noticed on the six iron, I tend to be missing it right. And, and that's the only club. Well, great. Go bend it up one degree upright. That's a great thing to do over the winter, you know, and then you can go hit it on launch mount. Oh, that fixed it. Or, hey, I've, I've, I've hit enough shots on my launch monitor now. 
you know, I'm seeing a small gapping issue between my eight and nine, you know, great, let's go bend that eight iron a degree strong or the nine a degree weak or, or whatever the case may be. So when the, when, you know, the, the day after the masters, when you can finally get outside again, you're ready to go. You've got new clubs and, and they're not new and foreign. You've got enough reps in them that, and, and really a chance to dial in. So again, I really think kind of that, that November, December, January is a great time for a lot of Northern golfers. And, you know, as you know, I've spent a good chunk of my life as one of those. I'm thankfully now in SoCal and we'll never see the snow again. Um, and for me, it is a little bit different, right? For me, the right time to get fit is either a, when I see a new product that, or, or someone like me, when I see a new product that interests me or when I'm swinging really well, um, that would be the right time for me to go get fit. But, uh, when I lived in Chicago, again, that kind of fall winter is really a great time. So we are also changing a little bit in the way that golf crazy exists, right? Like top golf is an example um, all these indoor simulator options that are now available from a range of different prices. The, the availability of golf has changed dramatically over the last decade to where even if you're getting fit later in the year, your potential to go and hit those clubs continuously throughout it, unless uh, even for those who don't have 12 feet of uh, room in their basement, <laughs> it is expanding yearly. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful to be a company who, you know, work for a company um, that's helped leading a lot of that and introducing people to golf. And, um, you know, because of that golf boom and also, you know, COVID obviously helped in, in, with the golf boom. It certainly wasn't a good thing, but from a golf standpoint, it was. Uh, and, you know, then it locked people at home and they decided, hey, you know, I still want to play golf and launch monitors. You know, it's interesting when that when kind of COVID came along, launch monitors were just going down in price and up in performance. So it really was kind of a perfect storm that we're, we're seeing now. Uh, you know, Dan, I, I got to believe there's a pretty good percentage of TH peers who have some version of a launch monitor now, some version, a way of at least getting basic data. You know, they may not all have spent 15,000. And the good news is you don't need to spend 15,000 anymore. You can get pretty darn good data. Now it's limited on the, the accuracy of data points, but you can get some pretty good data for $500 now. And you can get pretty incredible, unbelievable data for 2,500 to 3,000. So, um, you know, it, it's really great that people can take advantage of that. And I, I hope they do from, a, you know, not only just getting reps in, but getting their clubs dialed in. Mr. Verska, I always appreciate you taking the time to jump on with us. Good. Did we cover any of the topics on our pre-list? I have some checks. Yeah, okay, for sure. Good, good. I, I'm not looking at it right now, so I, I couldn't remember, but I'm hoping we did. You do better than Josh and I usually do. Oh, that's that's a big compliment. <laughs> do you have any questions for me today? Uh, how'd you finish up the golf year? I mean, I know uh, the leaves are out and, you know, the snowblowers are not too far off in the future. I hope they last another month or two for you, but how's your golf game? Yeah, it's not bad. I actually have a, a really cool uh, week trip with my son coming up we're going to take all thanksgiving week and head down to the coast and play golf uh mom's going to stay home and have a little staycation with the dogs and we're oh, going to wow. go uh we're going to go bang balls all all around the carolinas so um, just, you said you didn't mean the lake erie coast correct no no okay, oh good. my goodness no no we're going south er i like to call it <laughs> south er as, as south er as i can go <laughs> good well, that but, sounds uh, but, uh, yeah the, the the golf season Oh, is that? Anytime, that, anytime that golf and sun is involved, since I have two of them, I know it's pretty special. Yeah, that's what I'm excited about, making those memories. He's almost eight now, so he's actually 
he's starting to challenge mom and and grandpa for scores on nine so it's getting exciting um i i will be significantly better in the next decade at golf i'm not ready to concede to my son at this time so uh no the the year has actually gone really well i i've I've worked hard on refining a, a swing move that's consistent as opposed to something that just kind of works on timing. Um, and I think the driver's swing is the last piece of it. So uh, as we close the gap on the year, I mean, I'm playing some pretty damn good golf. So <laughs> been good. Well, yeah. good. Well, I'd uh, love to hear that. Uh, obviously I'm always here for, uh, for you specifically, but try to be there for the THPers with questions and, uh, not on the site every day, but certainly uh, when the bat signal, I get when I call out specifically, I try to jump on and answer them. So it sounds like you're in good shape, but uh, I'm here for for the others who maybe aren't. What a legend! Yeah, you you'll find Michael on THP forums lurking. Uh, you can tag him if you dare, especially if you have a big question worth answering. You can also find him on Twitter. I believe it's at vgolfman. Uh, it is, and it's actually all my social media, and I, I'm on almost all of them. I just, uh, I really only, I'm a lurker on everything but Twitter. It's the only thing I have okay. time for. I don't have, I can't, I can't make a video. It's too much work. Yeah, so let's just go heckle him about these new products he can't tell us about. And uh, <laughs> either way, we're glad to have you. Thank you so much. And uh, as you guys know, this this will be a thread of conversation on the forum on Friday. Uh, as once we drop, we'll have a. a forum thread up if you want to talk about it if you're not a thp well you're welcome to check it out or hit up michael on his socials uh and if not you're just a regular golfer go have a great time this weekend make them count if you're in my climate because we're running out of time uh and apparently go get fit because this is now is the time unless you're playing bad then go get a lesson <laughs> i uh, second all of that awesome michael thank you and uh to everyone out there have a great time Enjoy your, enjoy your golf this weekend. We'll see you next week. THP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network. Your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode.